My name is Josh Alvarez. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you're listening to episode 177 of Cinepunks. Hooray! It's Woo-hoo. so good. We are being joined. We are being educated by our friend, contributor, Adriana Gober is with us today, ladies and gentlemen. Educated. Yeah, you. All I'm saying, Adriana, is that I had to read a lot for this episode. And Liam <laughs> sends me a lot of stuff to read, and I don't read any of it. But uh, yeah, this that's one, true. I, 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 whenever we're covering something, Adriana, where I'm like, I don't know that Josh is going to be into this. I'll send him articles about it, and then we'll talk, and I'll be like, he didn't read that fucking article. <laughs> yep, that's right. I read them here, though, because I didn't want to look stupid in front of Adriana. I don't mind looking stupid in front of Liam, because I always do. But uh, That's not true. Josh, you never it come is. across as stupid. Come on. <laughs> but yeah, I think Least this this film and like Sandra Bernhard in general, I think is just so context dependent and very much of a particular time and place. So I do think it oh, helps man. to do some reading beforehand. Oh, oh yeah. So what are we talking about, Adriana, that you that you chose for us to discuss today? Okay. We are discussing the nineteen ninety film without you i'm nothing which is an adaptation of sorts of sandra bernhardt's one woman stage show of the same name um that she performed in the late 80s um i don't really think adaptation is quite accurate but we'll get into that later Mm -hmm. let's talk a little bit about the phylogeny of this episode before we get there though uh was like why are you guys watching this movie and I think it was because when we did our episode on the King of Comedy, yep, I had commented on the fact that I didn't know what Sandra Bernhard was doing there. Well, you <laughs> you said specifically that you didn't know who she was. All that you knew was that she was at one time friends with Madonna, and I was so scandalized <laughs> that I immediately I feel texted like I Liam. Scandalized you a lot, yeah. That, well, I'm sorry. Here's not, the thing. Not a, wait, wait, wait. It's not just that you that you were scandalized, Adriana. If other listeners might remember, I believe on the episode, I said out loud, yes. Adriana will be scandalized because I know how much you well, love her. Well, you said her. Adriana is going to be screaming at you as she listens, <laughs> which is exactly how it played out. <laughs> but the thing about it is, I was just very surprised that you had no familiarity with Sandra Bernhard because I think she is much more of a cultural touch point for people of your generation than she is people of my generation or younger. So I was surprised that you didn't know who she was. Well, it's not that I didn't know, right? Like, I remember her from MTV. She was on the Lemonheads record. Like, I guess. She was you know? everywhere yeah, in the early yeah, 90s. Yeah. But I, but, I mean, I hate to be this way, but, dude, like, a lot of people, like, a lot of people like Sandra Bernhardt were everywhere in the 90s. That it was like, a, I mean, like, you also got to keep in mind. What yeah. do you mean, like Sandra Bernhardt? Just like these loud people. Okay. <laughs> and at the time, I was very much just concerned with hardcore. So okay, fair it's enough. just like, you know, I get it. There's this white lady yelling at me on MTV, and I don't know what she's like angry about. And uh, let's listen to Gorilla Biscuits. That's how the thought pattern masked the relevance <laughs> okay. of Sandra Bernhardt. For me, I think that's education. a bit of a flattening of like who Sandra Bernhardt is and like what she was all about. But we'll get into that, too. I feel like everything you're saying right now is so crazy pants to be Josh, because I don't feel like I was that much more in touch with pop culture in the nineties than you were. Like, I feel like we have vaguely similar experiences. And yet I was aware, 
to be clear, so people know sort of where we're at, I am not a fan the way that Adriana is, hence why I had never seen this. And I'm also coming into this kind of new. But I knew who this person was. You know, I was aware of her stand up. I was aware of her being an icon. I had heard people talk about her one woman show, even though I had never seen it. Uh, and obviously I knew that she was on Roseanne. You know, like that was sort of the first <laughs> end was like, oh, yeah, she's on Roseanne. She's done acting and stuff. And then the other thing is that like since the 90s, She's done other roles that are much more approachable. In fact, she was on I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if there are people listening to this episode who had no idea she had a one woman show, but recognize her from other things because she's done other acting jobs since, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so, uh, you know, I, I, I bet there are more people who've seen her. I mean, shit, I'm pretty sure I saw her Playboy spread before I knew that she was even a uh, stand-up. So, or I, it's hard to say stand-up because she started in stand-up, as we know from that documentary, which is the other thing we watched for this, by the way, y'all. We watched a documentary called Confessions of a Pretty Lady, which I found also amusing and fun in its own way. Like, even though the we're mostly going to be discussing the, the, the show, the, let's say, yeah, adaptation isn't even right. The film version of her one-woman show, uh... We also watched a documentary that I I was just as happy to watch it. That wasn't like background information for me. I was like, this is a great documentary. I like yeah. this. This is fun. I figured because you'd I, appreciate it. Yeah. And again, like I didn't know it's it's for me. It's kind of for me, Josh, how some of those bands from the 90s are that you know very well. And I just kind of know who they are. That's sort of me and Sandra Bernhard. Like, you know very well uh, Ned's Atomic Dustbin. I know like the hits. Right. Like right. I know like the songs that people know about and you're like, no, you know, you you like know the words and the chords and shit. So, I, I, you know, that's sort of the vibe for me with Sandra Bernhardt is like I'm aware, but I had not ever caught. And, and to be fair, the only reason I am even that aware of not just her acting career or her sort of icon status, but her one woman show was because uh, friends of the show, uh, Dave and Alonzo over at Linoleum Knife, they of talk about <laughs> it a lot. Well, they do because they 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 both acknowledge how essential it is and how kind of problematic it yes. is, and then how that's just so Sandra Bernhard that like this is a very important part of our culture. Also, parts of it make me feel bad. You know, I think that's they're just like yeah, that's kind of like her vibe. You know, and and I think you know we're going to get into more detail here, but it's going to be an interesting conversation about not just you know her performance style her kind of comedy, but also the way that she, something you you put in a specific way, Adriana, that was in this essay, uh, that she positions herself a bit as a villain at times, right? That she yeah. is, uh, you know, people often say provocateur. And sometimes by provocateur, we just mean someone who says mean things, which is not who she is per se, but is she willing to be cast as the negative version of something i think she is more than comfortable with that and i think it's kind of fun and in fact the weird parts of the documentary were the parts where she seemed to be being very sincere in an interview and not being evasive and i was like what the, what the fuck should that's that felt like a very sincere moment what's going on right now okay Man. before we get okay. into all that we should say thank yous right we should probably thank some people josh don't you think thank a couple people here and there one, one two maybe, people maybe start with our patreons the people who uh, support us on Patreon, thank you guys so much for giving us uh, money to keep the party going. Hopefully you're enjoying the Patreon-exclusive content as promised. 
We have mm-hmm. a lunch with Liam that isn't done being edited yet. But, well, actually, by the time this comes out, I think lunch with Liam will be up. So hopefully you enjoy that. And me and Josh are going to get back on schedule. It's been a busy summer, y'all. So please be patient with us. But I know uh, at least some folks like it. If you don't like it, then, you know, whatever. It's fine, too. <laughs> Who else do of we want to thank, Liam? Of course, we also want to thank our friends uh, over at Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, xlvacx.com. You know, we we bust on Chris Reject a lot, but he is just a stalwart of uh, the wrestling, the punk, and the screen printing community. And Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations offers you professional service. Uh, oh, I was going to. Yeah, yeah. Professional printing, personal service, and reasonable prices. I had a whole saying in my head, but I screwed it up immediately. That was really uh, good, and, though. And Chris is, uh, you know, a, a regular guest. He would like to be more of a guest, but we'll see. I don't know. I don't know about all that. But uh, but he's the best. And uh, really, even if you, like many people, find Chris to be totally irritating, it doesn't matter because he has this amazing staff of people who do the amazing work that he's incapable of, which is mostly good printing and being nice, right? That's just a little beyond <laughs> him sometimes. Uh, who else do we want to thank, Josh? We want to thank our friend Aaron Dalbeck at Essex Coffee Roasters and uh, also say congratulations on Bane Weekend that just happened. Um, Woo! Aaron is uh, is our friend and he roasts coffee that's really delicious, <laughs> roasted to order. So if you want any uh, good coffee or if you want T-shirts or if you want tea, you can hit up uh, Essex Coffee Roasters. And when you put in C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X and check out at your coupon code, you get 10% off of your entire order. So please hit Aaron up for all your caffeinated needs. And of course, and we want to thank our friend. Least, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. We want to thank our friend Sharky over at MechanicalSharkMedia.com. Uh, if you have any media projects and you think Sharky might be able to help out, head on over to the website, hit him up. He'd love to talk to you about whatever your project idea is. And thanks, of course, to him for helping this episode sound so beautiful. So uh, silky and lovely. Yeah. Uh, that's about it. I guess now we have to do this thing. Um, it's a segment that we started doing. Adriana, a while you might ago. be familiar with it. Do you know what we're talking about at all? Yeah, I think I might know. I think, What's it called again? I think uh, you were talking a about a little segment called Whack and On Track. Whack and On Track! Liam, you didn't even participate. How's that feel? I didn't, I, didn't get to, I didn't get to insert my thing I just thought of, which was Booty and Cutie. That's my new alternate name for it. <laughs> That's quite Booty good. Booty and Cutie. That's quite good. That's a different yeah. show, Liam. Different show. Oh, yeah. Well, it, so, I think it, on another show, booty might actually be the good one. But no, I was thinking right. booty isn't bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Booty oh, like I guess it's just really booty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that that's booty. So yeah, the yeah. way it, a tribe called Quest would use the term. Oh, yeah, I guess Get that's right. Get yourself some toilet okay. paper because your lyrics is butt. You know what I'm saying? Booty. <laughs> so, Adriana, would you like to go first, second, or third in our Wagon on Track segment? Um, I'll go first and I'll make it quick. Um, well, first of all, Josh and I both saw the cure last night. I'm sure I just stole one of your wha- or your on track ideas, Josh, but No, no, um, no, Adriana. The cure is for everybody. Quite right. Um <laughs> so yeah, the cure played Wells Fargo Center in Philly last night. They played for almost three hours. Two yeah, encores. It was incredible. I had never seen them. I went with the uh, David, who had my boyfriend, who he's seen them several times over the years. Um, mm-hmm. 
But this is my first time, and it did not disappoint. Were you psyched? I was so hyped. There was no, I couldn't even sleep the night before. Oh, was I wasn't. I wasn't season. that excited, yeah. but I was pretty excited. Oh, uh, and man. the Twilight like, sat open, and they were great too. Da- David's old band played a show with them in like Bloomington, uh, Indiana, or something years ago, uh, and he was nice. really blown away by how how much be- how how much they improved as a live act. Uh, they were really good, and of course, The Cure were really good. Um, so that was a great night. And then other on track things I've done recently. Uh, it was my birthday uh earlier this month and uh for my birthday thank you happy birthday and uh you know for my birthday weekend i went to go see 11 rockets oh that was awesome i daniel ash is one of my guitar heroes so i've i've now seen him uh in bauhaus in uh pop tone which was like him and kevin haskins doing tones on tail stuff and I've seen Love and Rockets, so I've seen all three of his projects live. Um, and then the following day, I went to go see Jodie Comer in uh, Prima Facie on Broadway. And that was incredible as well. Wow. You have a good so, time? So all on track for me. I have no wax. <laughs> That's great. Good call. Go ahead, Liam. You want to go next? Sure. Uh <clears throat> What can I say? Well, I we talked about this actually on the old on the old uh lunch with Liam. Uh I went to a show a few weeks ago, but it has been a while since we recorded, so I feel just fine bringing it up. I went to see Colossal Man, um Absolute Truth, Snake Something, I don't know, because I didn't like them. And uh, matter of fact, yeah, what was that other snakes? It was like I, I keep so because it's it's snake and then a word that should not go with snake. So I keep wanting to say snake bite. And then my brain is like, no, it's like a thing that doesn't go with a snake. And I'm like, OK, <laughs> but I can't remember what it is. Anyways, um, yeah. So I went with uh, former guest Mike Dick of the uh, First Seven Inch Club podcast. Uh, Mike was fun to go to a show with. We had a good time. Uh, got to see, uh, got to say, meet uh, Gray Gordon, who's uh, the singer of Colossal Man. Um, they were really good. Absolute Truth was really good. Matter of fact, was really good. Sorry to diss that other band, but uh, I can't even remember their name, so I guess it doesn't really matter. But uh, it just wasn't my vibe. They were fine, but it just wasn't my thing. Um, yeah, it was a good time. Uh, I definitely want to recommend. I think people have probably heard of both Colossal Man and Absolute Truth who like that kind of stuff. But if folks don't know, matter of fact, it's like a really new band out of Chicago. They just have a demo out, but it is on Bandcamp. Uh, so if you look up matter of fact, Chicago on Bandcamp, I think it'll come up and uh, it's members of, I think Buggin and that band um, instill uh, out of Chicago. And it's good. It's like a late eighties, New York hardcore demo core sort of stuff. And I thought it was fun. So it's a good time. I really just bring it up to say it was fun to hang out with Mike and I appreciate him a lot. And yeah, that was sort of like my one kind of like fun outing, really. Uh, I did take myself. uh, Susan Maeve had been away for a while. Maeve actually gets back today. So I've had the whole week to myself and I mostly used it to do housework. But I did take myself 
on a one one person date to go see uh, Asteroid City, the new Wes Anderson, which I know you saw as well, Josh Joshua. I did. What'd you think? I liked it actually. I liked it. I, I well, okay. I guess that's not a big surprise for people who know. I like most of his movies. I guess I I still kind of met on Darjeeling Limited. It's just not for me. It's just fine. And I we talked about it before. I'm, I'm kind of met on Isle of Dogs as well. Uh, but you know, I loved the French Dispatch. I thought it was great. So I not really that surprised that I liked Asteroid City. But it is different than some of his other movies. Yeah, it's, it's, it really it's, is. It's really interesting to me how he can do this thing where on one hand a lot of his things that people sort of jokingly are like, oh, that's so Wes Anderson, are in this movie while he does something that is, A, totally unexpected. There are multiple things that happen in this movie that I was like, oh, shit, what? Like, I did not see coming. <laughs> and B, um, he's doing a bunch of stuff he's never done before. So the fact yeah. that he can innovate while still being weirdly himself in a way, almost like fulfilling people's cliches, even as he stretches himself to try something new. I kind of appreciate that. Um, I don't think it's as drop dead funny as some of his other movies can be, but none of his movies are just funny. They're always a bit funny, but also other kind of aspects, including melancholy going on. So, uh, for me, I think it will sit for a while and maybe grow into one of one of uh, my favorite of his movies, quite honestly. But right now it's like it's about medium, which, you know, I, I guess medium isn't a big uh, compliment per se, but I, I, I enjoy most of his movies. So medium's pretty good. You know, it's it's yeah. it's better than some of the other ones, but I don't I don't know if it'll surpass some of my favorites per se. I loved it. I think it's it's top tier for me. The more that I yeah. sit with it, the more I think of the absurdist aspect of it, the more it just ingrains itself in my in my thoughts, you know? Yeah, I you know what? I so even though I already saw it, I'm kind of committed to watch it again at some point with Suze, though probably not maybe in a theater, probably not in a theater, probably just at home. But I'm gonna watch it again just because we've watched a lot of those together. And uh I'm wondering if on second viewing it'll click more with me and I might even be a little bit higher on it. So that's it sort of movie-wise, especially like new movie-wise. Oh, although I did watch uh, the BlackBerry movie, and I thought that was surprisingly good. I don't know how many more of these. Th it just seems to be a trend right now of like corporation biopics is like a thing. Yeah. Um, and so I went into this kind of skeptical because I just assumed it wasn't going to be that great. It's pretty funny, actually, but it's so weird and funny that I now I'm like, how much of that was real and how much of that was made up for the movie. If everything that is in the movie is how it actually went down, then man, Blackberry was pretty fucked up in its own way. Like it's really fucking weird, man. Uh, so, so I don't know if, uh, but it, it does kind of stand on its own as a movie. I just don't know. I, I understand why this one got made because it's really a, a strange story of how it all came together. But if it's more, even though I found it amusing, if it's more fictionalized, I don't know why we needed a fictionalized version of the history of Blackberry. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, so I don't know. I, I don't know what to make of it, but I will say the performances are really good. And if you're someone who isn't kind of weirded out by that stuff, I, I definitely watched it for free. And so if you can watch it for free, I think it's, I think it's worth it. I, I've laughed a number of times and I, I'm kind of curious about how much of it really represents the reality of that situation. Uh, and finally, you know, uh, 
Secret Invasion has started and uh the bear is back. So I'll be uh I'll be talking about those things pretty pretty <laughs> soon here on Cinebugs because uh pretty invested in both those things. So, I'm about halfway through the bear season two right now. Yeah, I, I are you how many it? episodes is it? How many episodes is it? I think ten. And yes, I'm okay. into it. It's very good so far. I love uh, it. I love you, it. Did, I'm not are you one yet. of the people, Adriana, that like loved the first season? Yes. See, I didn't see it. Melani saw it and she was like completely into it. Yes, one of my like current favorite shows right now. It's so it's just really good. I'm I'm continually impressed by it. Again, I don't want to say like that the whole season is great. I'm like Adrian, I'm only three episodes in, but those three episodes are really good. And not a lot of not a lot of shows are like, hey, first episode of the season, time to get you emotionally invested in a really heavy way. But this show's just like, yeah, we're just gonna do it and you're gonna be on board. It's gonna be great. And it's, that's crazy. That's a crazy experience, you know. I get it. Nice. But that's it for right. me. Cool. So for me, um, I went and saw uh, No Mas. We talked about this on Lunch with Liam. I saw No Mas and I saw Noel and uh, Ultramantis Black at Kung Fu Necktie last week. It's a good time. Got a chance to hang out with my man Vince and uh, just chilled. And all the bands are great. And um I saw we talked. Did we talk about the blackening, Liam? That, that I saw the blackening. Yeah, but th- not a lot of people hear lunch with Liam, so you can talk about it here. Oh, That's yeah. fine. So I also saw Asteroid City. Loved it. Saw the blackening. Uh, I loved that as well. There's a lot to it. There's a lot that go- went over my head for sure. Um, it's a horror comedy about you know black tropes in horror movies, and um, it's a good time. I mean, it's one of those movies that like you're gonna see it. Just enjoy yourself. You know what I mean? And um, it's some of it will go over your head, but you know, hey, that's cool. <laughs> and uh, I got tickets for Homefront. Did I tell you about this? I'm so jealous. No, I, I got tickets for the that. New York show with Violent Way, and I got t- and Crown Court, and I got tickets for the Philly show too. So you know, that's pretty on track. I'm so pumped. I can't wait to see that band. Adriana, do you get down with uh, Homefront at all, or, or is that anywhere near your your tastes? I'm totally unfamiliar with Homefront. In fact. I don't think I've even heard of them until just now. Oh, what? my goodness. Really? I, all the music I sent you, Adriana, I can't believe I haven't sent you this band. You this is not. exactly up your ass. You I have failed it, as your friend, and I apologize. Uh, R5 had written about their show coming up uh, in Philly as uh, they, they described them as um, Tears for Fears meets a post-punk band. That sounds awesome. <laughs> It's incredible. This last record is so good. It's called uh, Games of Power. It's just, it's lovely. It's a okay. lovely, lovely thing. I'll check it out. And they're, they've never played here, right, Liam? This is our first time? Yeah, I think so. I, I know that they've played outside of Canada, but I don't think they've played on the East Coast before. I could be wrong, but as far as I know, they haven't uh, played in the U.S. before, but I think they've played Europe a couple times. They're so cool, Adriana. Like, that's a cool fucking band, you know? We should watch the video for Nation, which it's a, it's a lovely song, but it's like, even the video is like, what is even happening right now? You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, so I got tickets to that. I will say the one whack thing that's happened to me this weekend is that I didn't get a chance to see uh, Evan because he's home for oh, yeah. uh, something to talk about fest, but it was Cure Weekend, so that kind of took up all of my bandwidth. I couldn't oh, think about no. anything else. Oh, yeah. what a bummer. Even, dude, fucking um, Saturday, Friday night, 
I didn't have anything to do. I just I, me and Melanie were just home, and that was the Warthog night. I couldn't even con- like I couldn't even think about going to another show because of this Cure show that happened on Saturday. Can you believe it? Man, I know that's crazy. I, I, I it sucks. I've been so filled with uh with FOMO, like just like so sad that I'm missing this thing. And it's so funny because uh you know friend of the show who never listens to the show. Nick from Numerality Zine. One of the conversations we have a lot is how he has no connection to the more punk end of hardcore, like at all. Like, you know, in the 2000s, when everybody was listening to Tragedy, not Adriana, because she only heard them because of me, but uh, when everyone in, in hardcore was listening to Tragedy, he listened to Tragedy, but that's about it for him. He just doesn't really have much of a connection to that world. So I, I was like, well, I wish I was there, and I think it's really good, so I'm just going to keep sending you videos when I see them on Instagram. And every time he's like, man, that's some, some real punk shit, huh? And I'm like, it's good, man. It's really good. Uh, but I'm just, je- I, I'm just jealous. There's so many bands there. I mean, Concealed Blade is fucking amazing. Um, yeah. uh, Baton Arme, I'm really into. Yep. Uh, today, Heavy Discipline is playing. And Zorn, who I really like. Uh, the other night, it was uh, Electric Chair and Public Acid played. Like these lineups are pretty great. And there's bands who I didn't know that got booked for this fest, and then I saw the live sets on Instagram was like, oh, that's pretty good. I should check that out. So that band Puffer from, uh, I think they're from Montreal. I had never heard them before. And I saw the video of them playing at Photo Club. And I was like, oh, this shit's pretty good. I should check it out. And uh, now, I'm a, now I'm a fan. I'm a fan of that band. So yeah, Jim, yeah. Jim, Jim Shomo, again, another person who'll never listen to the show. But he does a good job with that fest, man. That's just, that's some serious work yeah. he puts in. And he's in and, Dark uh, Thoughts. Dark Thoughts fucking rules, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I love so, that band. Respect. Respect to them. Uh, respect to everyone who went. And love you, Evan. Uh, wish I was gigging with you, buddy. Yeah, the whackness is that I get, didn't get a chance to even grab a cup of coffee with you, Evan. So I apologize. And uh, yeah, it's just... Uh, I fucked up. My bad, dog. It happens, man. It so, happens. Yeah. So that's my whacking on track. That's what I got. All right. Well, that's it. I guess we'll take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to dive into not just uh, her one-woman show, Without You, I'm Nothing, but into sort of the phenomena of Sandra Bernhard more at this time, right? Because other than the recent row over, you saw this, Adriana, that like, Two years ago, people got real upset about a comedy set she did in the 90s. You know about this? Um, yeah, so I think I'm pretty sure I know what you're talking about. It's from her HBO special. Um, oh, God, I'm blanking on the name of it. It's from 1998. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the Mariah Carey. She's talking Carey about show. Mariah Carey. Yeah. Yeah. Which don't be wrong. I, I'm not surprised people got upset. It's no. a, it's it's a bummer of a joke, but it is weird that like. Outside of that, people haven't really talked about her as being edgy for almost 20 years, I feel like. Like, when you do a search, most people are just kind of like, yeah, Sandra Bernhardt, of course, her. Like, it's like, it's all normal now. And then somewhere about two years ago, there's like a million articles about this joke that she made in 1998. And it's like half the shit that comes up when you Google is just articles restating the same thing over and over again about that joke. So we'll get into all that and the phenomena of her career when we come back. The moment I wake up 
before I put on my makeup, I say a little prayer for you. Walk home in my hair now, and wondering what dress to wear now. I say a little prayer for you. I just take time, and all through my coffee break time, I say a little prayer for you. with the mostest, Ms. Adriana Gober, and we are talking about the cultural phenomenon that is Sandra Berger. So, Adriana, <laughs> let's talk about your relationship with yeah. Ms. Sandra Bernhardt. Sure. Because well. clearly, you know more about her than all of us. So, you know, or both of us. Okay, so... Um... Yeah, she basically was just a figure who seemed to be everywhere when I was a kid. Um, and I was thinking about this before we recorded, because I was trying to think back to, like, what was the first time I ever encountered her? And I, I, I couldn't really pinpoint it to any one specific thing. Um, but basically, my parents got divorced when I was three, so I grew up going back and forth between two households and both households were very big on television. So the, the TV was always on and each of my parents were kind of interested in different types of television programming. So my dad watched a lot of late night like talk shows and sitcoms. 
Um, and I would, I would watch a lot of like Nick at night with him. Um, and my stepdad also watched a lot of late night TV, but it was mostly genre programming, like horror and sci-fi. And my mom was really into like E entertainment television. (laughs) Sure. And she also read a lot of the gossip tabloids, like people magazine and Sandra Bernhard popped up in all of those things. Um, (laughs) she, was really at the nexus of so many things in the culture, like television, film, music, fashion even. Like she walked runways for Chanel and Come to Garcon and a bunch of other labels. And so there was all, and oh yeah, and there was always like some sort of outrageous soundbite that got her in the news. So she was basically inescapable. Um, like I, I remember she, like she hosted Real Wild Cinema on USA, which I remember watching with my stepdad. And she was in music videos. She was in the video for um, Low by Cracker. Like, I vividly remember Uh. her, like, beating the shit out of David Lowry in a boxing ring in that video. (laughs) And then, of course, she was in The King of Comedy. But I think, like, it was Roseanne that really kind of was responsible for um, introducing her to a much wider audience. Like, that was her breakout role more than The King of Comedy. Um, and then of course he had her appearances on late night with David, with David Letterman. Mm-hmm. Um, was she like a frequent guest? Yeah. She appeared Letterman? over 30 times. Jesus. And you know, those were the okay. days where our media consu- consumption wasn't so fractured into many different directions, you know, with like it is now with streaming. So mm-hmm. back then TV was it. So people really yeah. committed to tuning in every night and having something to talk about at the water cooler the next day. So like millions of people were seeing her on TV and like, she was very subversive. And for me, um, growing up, like I was a very gender non-conforming kid, you know, what some people would call a tomboy, although I really dislike that term, but, and I had big hair and I was gawky and my brain wasn't wired like a lot of other kids. So I had a really bad time in school and I went to a Catholic school. So there was like this, fire and brimstone kind of darkness hanging over everything all the time and i was like mocked and denigrated a lot for how i looked and how i carried myself and you know because my interests were not typical interests for girls my age and um unfortunately it wasn't just kids who were mean it was adults in fact like i would say it was adults more often than my peers so i had a lot of adult authority figures in my life growing up at school mainly who like constantly policed my gender expression and told me that I wasn't how girls were supposed to be. So I felt really guilty. Like I was doing something wrong or there was something wrong with me. And, you know, my parents were very nurturing and supportive for the most part. So I wasn't getting that at home, but I was still being force fed a lot of shit everywhere else. And so seeing somebody like Sandra Bernhard on TV was a major moment of revelation for me because it made me realize at a very early age that some adults are just full of shit. <laughs> you know, he, you know, here was a, a woman on television who embodied all of the things that I was told weren't womanly and weren't how like girls were supposed to behave. And she was so unapologetically herself and she exuded confidence and a fuck you attitude. And, and like she had big hair too. And the same kind of like nonstop frenetic, energy and loud exuberance that I had that so many people tried to extinguish. Um, so that really, I really identified with that. And then of course, 
it was also an early instance of me seeing myself in another queer person, but I didn't understand at the time that that was like part of the appeal as well. But there was definitely a lot of identify identification going on. I think that is probably true of a number of people, though her appeal, like I, I knew that she was an, uh, you know, a, a pretty well-known figure within um, the queer community. Uh, but I think she was, but she was also a contentious figure. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. Scott Thompson and the kids in the hall and Leah Delaria were like part of this trifecta of like renegade queers who wouldn't conform to like the party line. Like they refused to be like good um, role models. (laughs) So they would, they, often rubbed up against like the queer establishment and were villainized by the queer establishment. Yeah. So that I, I kind of knew, I, I knew that she was important. I wasn't as aware of that contentiousness until more recently, you know? And I think, um, I think the thing that stands out to me besides what you're saying, which is that um, she always presented herself as beautiful in a world that, easily could write her off as as not that and i even when i was too young to quite understand the politics of all that or the sociological aspect of all that i always recognized it as like oh she doesn't care what anyone thinks and there was something about that i don't know if i realized how prevalent it was to the point where like you know in that documentary we watched there was a guy talking about all the ways you could improve what she looked like as if that was a normal oh god that's so psychotic It's it it is, but that's uh, to realize the level to which she was getting that kind of pushback, even as a person who had some amount of fame. I don't think I realized that uh, quite honestly until I was an adult. At the time, I understood that she wasn't, you know, she didn't look the same as some of the like ninety supermodel types. But I didn't understand that she wasn't still beautiful. You know what I mean? Like I I think Mm. there was something about her that automatically appealed to me even though i wouldn't necessarily like put a poster on my wall i always thought it was funny to some extent this presentation because it felt challenging but i was like but you know why would it be challenged like it it took me a while to kind of understand it yeah but I, i do think her performance style which is very much like i'm embodying this thing and it is a reflection but it is also you know in the essay they, they you know she's kind of doing drag in a way that is the uh, it, the personification of different identities she's sort of putting on different uh, yeah. uh I- identity and I, even uh, just the uh, way uh, she performs exaggerated femininity as also yeah. kind of a form of drag i didn't i didn't understand any of that when i was a kid and only later on when i read about some of the like more theoretical ideas around you know people writing about drag in more of a theory sense did i put it together of like oh, this is Sandra Bernhardt's comedy. And I hadn't even seen this movie. I just knew from what she had done, there was a bit of like a, there was a performative aspect. You know, you know what, she, what she does a little bit? I, I hope this doesn't seem as diminutive because I don't mean it that way. But, I, but I, I think it might be easier for people to understand who aren't as familiar with things like drag and camp is that um, for a certain aspect of her public life, Sandra Bernhardt never broke kayfabe. Like she had- <laughs> such a good way to put it i'm just serious like that's a reality like that i know kayfabe has been complicated in a world where everyone knows that wrestling isn't 
a real sport, but still you have to maintain your persona. So there's like multiple levels of what kayfabe means in a modern world. But I think the idea is that unless it served her, like in the documentary, she's very sincere in a way that I'm not used to. And I'm sure there are other interviews where she kind of did that. But in lots of places where there was no reason for her to be vulnerable, she wasn't. She would just say whatever she wanted to maintain this this air and that air was often perceived especially by men as mm-hmm. confrontational like she was just confronting them when in reality most of the time she just wasn't answering their questions directly right. or was saying things that she found funny and um and i remember fucking loving that as a kid uh even if i didn't quite understand it i didn't quite understand the way that it was connected honestly to kind of a history of performance none of that was on my plate but i always thought she was fucking funny um, and so then when, uh, when we talked about doing this, I thought, you know, this is the special, this is the movie that people talk about. And I don't know, you know, other than seeing her do, I guess she's never done traditional stand up stand up, but no. the stuff I had seen her done was not quite the cabaret performance that this is. Right. And so I was kind of curious to be like, well, this is the thing that people talk about. I want to see what it is. Yeah. Um, we should I, I think we're going to return to her because there are aspects of this movie that are difficult. And yeah. in talking about that, we're going to talk about her yeah. performance and all that stuff. But we should just talk about the movie itself real quick. And Josh, I hope it's OK. Well, I just want to say something real quick. Go ahead, please. Yeah, um, yeah. Just going back to your point about how she modeled kind of an alternative kind of beauty that was in opposition yeah. to um, like a very Eurocentric white beauty standard. Like she grew up. Uh, in Flint, Michigan, in like a very thriving Jewish community, and there was a like a, a large black population as well, so it was pretty diverse. Um, but then when she was ten, her family moved to Scottsdale, Arizona, and it was this major culture shock because everyone there was just waspy and very racist, and so she was subject to a lot of very like hate. I I mean, she's written about this in her books and talked about it, but she was she was the target of a lot of really heinous racism because all of the wasps did not differentiate between black people and Jewish people. It was all the same. It was just not white. So, uh, yeah, she was really put through the ringer. And I think that kind of dovetails into some of the themes that the film that she deals with in the film, in particular, like this idea of identity as something constructed that we perform and i think i'm sure we'll get into this because it's not i think the way she goes about it is arguably very problematic (laughs) but it does kind of go oh it it explains a bit it's like necessary context i think to like where she is coming from yeah yes yes oh man so okay this i I'm, i'm rethinking here i i think I know we're not going to have a lot of people who listen who haven't watched it, but we'll have some. I think what I want to do, if this is okay with y'all, is Adriana, could you just talk? We don't have to go through it bit by bit, but just overall what the movie is. And then, Josh, I feel like since you're the least familiar with Sandra Bernhardt, (laughs) I kind of want to get your take. Yeah, I want to get Josh's take, too, because when I recommended doing this movie, I immediately was like, I have no idea how either... Uh, what either of these guys are going to make of it, but Josh especially. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so basically, this is a version of her one-woman show, Without You, I'm Nothing, um, that was developed for film. And there are um, 
There are, are passages, I'll say, from the stage show that are carried over to this film. But basically, she and her collaborator, John Boscovich, recognize that like film is like the medium of film opened up a lot of um like avenues for them to experiment with form in a way that the stage show didn't really do. So yeah, like it it's very different in many ways from the stage show and I've never seen it performed. I just have like the double LP recording of it. But it starts out as very like tra- traditional kind of stand up like she's riffing and like he- kind of heckling the audience. And then it and then it develops into the the what we see in the movie where she is inhabiting all of these different personas. Um and, and, you know, there's, like, uh, musical numbers. But, um, like, the movie is pretty different. And one of the major differences is that um, race becomes, like, a major um, theme of the film. Uh, it, it is not really so prominent in the stage show. So it's not as, like, upfront in the stage show. Right. I was wondering about that. Um, but basically, the so the movie is her... It's hard to explain because it's part mockumentary and part performance piece where she she is um, like doing her show for an audience of very disinterested, like predominantly... Like, it's a very disinterested, predominantly black crowd. And I think it was meant to try to uh, like recreate the Parisian Room, which was a black jazz club that she... Uh, did shows at a lot um, when she was coming up because her mentor, Paul Mooney, would have her play to a lot of black audiences because he felt like they would understand what she was doing better than the typical predominantly white comedy crowds who were going to like the comedy store and other places in LA where she started uh, performing. So, yeah, it's meant to be like the Parisian Room, but it's not the Parisian Room. It was filmed at... Hang on a second. I have it in my notes here. Yeah, it was filmed at the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles. But it's meant to be like the Parisian room. Um, So, yeah. So, like, part of the movie is her doing her show. And then it's intercut with these, uh, like, talking head interviews with her friends and manager. Um, And that is not her actual manager. That's an actress playing her manager. Uh, And then... Um, her friend Steve Anton is playing a version of himself, but like it's very, it's all very like heightened. Yeah, um, it's very meta. Right? Yeah, and then it John is very Doe's meta. There. Oh, John yeah. Doe. Yeah, we'll get to John Doe, but like he was her friend. So there's a part of the film where she and John Doe do like a country western duet, which is one of my favorite parts of the film. Um, so yeah, it's like part mockumentary and part performance film, uh, but it's it's reworked a lot from like what her stage show was. Uh, to the extent that I feel like they are very separate, distinct entities that I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't really think it's fair to call this an adaptation of the stage show because it is very much its own thing. And they really do. She and John Boscovich really take advantage of the film medium to do a lot of really cool visual things that you could just not do on a stage. It feels like in a lot of ways, the movie also comments on the stage show, you know, like there's almost a sense in which 
the movie is kind of mocking the idea that the stage show needs a movie. You know, yeah. in the ways that she's the my, mocking my, a lot of things, including yeah, Sandra herself. My my <laughs> my breakout stage show, which you know, there are multiple people watching this movie being like, "It wasn't a was it really a breakout? It wasn't that or just thing? like who I the fuck so. is is she? Yeah, what what even is that? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, Josh, I I think there's more to say. We'll say, we'll get into more of the details of the movie. I want to start with a response, Josh. What did you think of this as someone who kind of came into this without a lot of context for who this person is or what? her whole vibe was yeah josh did you watch the documentary i did okay cool but i also watched this twice oh so i watched this first without reading any of the stuff that adriana sent and And then you're probably like what the fuck was that yeah 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 the experience was like being flagellated i imagine because it was just like what in the fuck is my (laughs) eyeballs telling me right now you know what i mean and then i read all that stuff and then on second viewing i was like oh, this is actually self-flagellation. <laughs> and yeah. it's a little different than my perspective going in. But the second time, I did not enjoy it any more than I did the first time. Oh, so you were really not into it, huh? No, no. Well, oh, and I don't buddy. blame you. I think it's a pretty difficult... I mean, here again, the context for me in terms of this is that I remember her from MTV on bits with Dennis Leary where she would do like slam poetry and black and white and stuff. And it was all like one big wink. And this movie is still to me one gigantic wink. Yeah. And um, I mean, I get it. I don't think I'm stupid, but then, you know, I do think I'm stupid in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? And it's just like, a lot of it is just like, wait a minute. But so, you know, it was more frustrating watching it after this, this watching it the second time. Wow. Okay. What do you think changed for you the second time as opposed to the the first? I mean, it just felt like it was, I mean, okay. So when you watch it with no context whatsoever, and it's just this white lady yelling at you and all this stuff, and then she's got her like, you know, wearing different clothes, singing Nina Simone songs and all this other stuff. It's just like, what the fuck, bro? Like, what is happening? That's a very nice way of saying that parts of this film are arguably borderline like minstrelsy. Oh my mm-hmm. sweet baby mm-hmm. Jesus! It felt like without it, intending it felt like to an be, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Like this weird unintentional, and then like it just seemed more irritating the second time because it's just like so like you're expecting all of this stuff to be conveyed through your context. Like if you didn't read any of those things and watch it, which I did, it feels weird. Yeah. And then once you know all that stuff, even that is like, so wait, you mean to tell me that I have to read bell hooks to be able to appreciate this? Like it's, it's, I'm which again, no excuse not to read bell hooks. You know what I'm saying? But like, what the fuck, man? Yeah. Well, <laughs> that was how um, I, if it's any consolation, like she was an acquired taste at the time. Like mm-hmm. this, you, you kind of just had to be dialed in to her frequency uh-huh. So, like, plenty and of people that. at the time were having the same experience of it that you were. I mean, mm-hmm. I know she's friends with Tom Waits, <laughs> who she- everybody knows, one of my big heroes. I'm just saying, you know, like, I can't be, I, the whole thing, like, the end of the second viewing, I was like, I must be completely wrong. And I hope Adriana oh. shines all the light on this for me, because I feel terrible. <laughs> no, I mean, this is, this, I have difficulty with some of it, too. Um. But I mean, we'll get into it. But like, yeah, I don't I don't think it's wrong that it, you just didn't connect with it or that you had trouble making sense of it. I kind of I I anticipated that, to be quite honest. 
It's well, there. and I, I mean, I, I, I want to be. I, I also want to, you know, reinforce something that that we say a lot anyway. But it's like we might bust on each other for not liking or liking certain things. Like I will always mock Josh's love for the fast movies when I, because I only like a few of them, and Josh might be confused by me liking this or not liking something else. But I think it's really important to say like. You, I don't think you can watch it wrong, Josh. Like, like if it doesn't yeah, work no, for you, it doesn't work that. for you. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like very I, postmodern. I, I'm surprised because I feel like there's so much in this that makes me think of other things that you like. I'm actually surprised oh, yeah. more than Adriana is. So that that you didn't like it, but no part of me is like, oh, Josh is just dumb. Like no, that's not how this works on this show. And you know, <laughs> I, I, granted there might be stuff that we think is so obviously good that it's hard for us to take people seriously who hate it. That'll happen. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, you just have to be patient and admit that like, just because you emotionally care about something doesn't mean other people have to care that you care. So hopefully they're being nice when they tell you that they don't like it. Right. Like it's really just a matter of kindness. Right. But that being said with this, while I am, while I am surprised you didn't like it, I am not surprised in a way where it's like, but it's so obviously good. And I think there's two barriers here. One is the overall style, which some people will find glamorous and funny and just this is how comedy should be. And some people will be like, I don't know what the fuck she's talking about. Because she does a level of mocking that gets so meta and so she has a way to There's so many layers. Yeah, well, she has a manner of speaking that is both granular. She's describing the details of the dress and you're supposed to understand in her describing the details of a meal or a dress or the vibe of a room that she's critiquing an entire culture, an entire world, an entire way of being in the world because she's talking about the, the upholstery or whatever it is when she's talking about this, that or the other. And I it's all very Gentile. Yes, yes, yes. And, and, and I think that, um, you have to be cued into the sorts of hegemonies that she is mocking mm-hmm. to understand that she is mocking them. And so and that's the postmodern. Yes, I agree. Well. I think that is very postmodern. I don't know that I find this. So what I was getting to, which I didn't quite get there, but I was going to say, Josh, is that while I actually do enjoy this, I don't vibe with it probably as much as people who are a little bit older than me. Uh, and who this is a kind of humor that they always connect with. There are moments where she is probably saying something that's fucking eviscerating to a certain thing, and I don't know what the fuck she's talking about. But I find her amusing enough of the time that I like this for the most part. So so what I was going what I was doing is separating out two things. There is the overall vibe, which isn't going to work for everyone. Then there are the choices for this particular version of this. Right. So as Adriana said, but just to reiterate for listeners, this movie is not the same as the stage show. And as Adriana pointed out, there are more uh, racial elements in this than there are in the stage show. And this, Adriana, actually leads me to the thing we were alluding to earlier, which is her Mariah Carey joke, right? So I wanted to bring this up specifically because uh, which, this which came to be up- clear, the Mariah Carey thing does not happen in this film no, or this show. No, this it's is, much later. This is from 1998. She made a joke about Mariah Carey. I'm still here, damn it. That's the name of the uh, HBO special. Yes. And she regrettably uses the N-word in the joke. 
And that's for me, and I think for all of us here, inappropriate for any white person ever. Yeah. Under any circumstances. That's my view on it. Maybe people can disagree, but I think that that's fucked, right? In the the reason this came back up is that uh, uh, Mariah Carey was doing a podcast with, I think Tyra Banks maybe uh, or someone like that. It was a, it was a model, and this came up, and Mariah Carey yet again brought up this joke and how hurt she was by it and whatever and and all this sort of stuff. And you know, respect to her for that. But the way that they talked about the joke, Adriana, was that Sandra. Bernhard that that she had a premise to the joke that was completely her own thing and that the problem was not just the word that she used but everything about the joke and in my opinion as someone who was a freshman in college in 1998 that was a common sentiment was that Mariah Carey had switched lanes when she started hanging right. out, right? I mean, with, we should with, probably provide some more context as to like what right. Sandra. I don't know the joke. <laughs> she was basically I know, and talking I about joke. that Mariah Carey was a poser, basically that that she was she had suddenly adopted all of these like I don't know I don't know how to I don't know how to explain this without black tropes. <laughs> sure, I mean literally, yes. That yes. that that her that career was based on her. Um, exhibit at all and that it felt very fake now one could argue and i think you would be right that sandra bernhard should stay in her lane and that she did not have the right to speak with any authority about like what legitimate blackness is and this is something she she does not like she has really evolved in her thinking uh fortunately 100 percent. yes but at the time and 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 even before that yeah, go ahead. A lot of people's favorites said shitty things in the 90s. Sure. So let's not say that she's alone out there. Everyone else was uh, was doing the right thing, but Sandra Bernhardt was right. the one person that said something and shitty. She, you know, lots of people were doing that sort of thing, and she's really grown from there. Right, but, like, for her, it was this case of, you know, like, I, I kind of alluded to this already, but, like, she grew up influenced by, like, a lot of, uh, by black culture, and, like, a lot of black people had, like an impact an influential impact on her life and then when she moved to los angeles when she was 18 paul mooney um became her mentor and he got her on the richard Pryor show and she was performing to a lot of black audiences who really embraced her so she felt this affinity and but then she started to feel like she was black or you know like she had a pass to say certain things because paul mooney said she could that sort of thing and, you know, that is the kind of thinking we're now in 2023. We recognize that that is ridiculous. But that is where she was coming from. Uh, and it was not. She should have stayed but, in her lane. But like she she felt like she uh, had to had to speak on Mariah Carey's poserdom. Right. And, and to some extent, I understand the idea here, which is she's kind of kind of mocking the whole effort to commodify blackness anyway. Correct. That's inherent Which is what in she's the saying joke. in this film too, in a, right. to a certain extent. But the but the problem I think is similar. I bring up the, the joke not to beat her over the head with it because I do think like going back to a joke from 1998 and then talking about it in 2023, it can be kind of unfair, but I think yeah. it's emblematic of something going on in this movie, which is, um, you know, in the Bell Hooks piece, Bell Hooks is, is, critical of the movie and really feels like um, it, the movie is somehow both 
uh, lambasting the the urge or not the urge, the tendency of uh, white women to instrumentalize blackness in in various ways. Yeah. Uh, but it but in the end, it's still doing the same thing. You know, I, I think that's a little bit unfair, but I think it's also true in the yeah. sense that. I think Bell Hooks is a little bit ambivalent on the intentions of Bernhardt, which makes sense. As a critic, you can't get wrapped up in the intentions of the performer right. per se. You just have to talk about the effect of the piece of art. Yeah. Yeah. And I get that. I think that's that's true. But as for me as a critic watching this thing, I think the reality is she is using the tropes of as uh, as both the essays suggest, camp and performance and putting on different identities. And I don't think she's aware that the way she's doing that for black performers, for black culture, it doesn't really translate the way that I she thinks it does. Yeah. And even in the interview that they both quote where she says they represent something personal for me about outsideness, well, you haven't given – I mean, on one hand, you know, part of the criticism is that she hasn't given them – enough space other than to be stereotypes like they had they're not full humans in the thing but who is a full human in the right thing? the reality is she's not really a full human in the thing either because she is personifying various caricatures of different yeah, ideas even when she's yeah. even when she's being herself she's not being herself right and right. that's that's mm -hmm. the thing but that doesn't work for something in which when especially for someone who knows and I think this is part of the movie that black culture is commodified and and um, made into a fetishization I, I, item, you know, a, a fetishized object. And I think she's aware of that. But I think that she thinks she's commenting on it in a way that she's not. And that I think we we are reasonably concerned about that. And I think that, you know, I, I, I and so the problem with talking about the movie is. You have both the thing itself, which is the performance, which either vibes for you or doesn't. And then you have the part that's a problem and you have to decide whether you are OK with that or not. And if so, does it work or not? And I'm in the camp where I like the movie enough that I'm willing to deconstruct that part and say, yeah. this was a bad idea, but I'm not deeply offended by it. I just think in 2023, she would know better than the, to attempt this. But if someone watches thing and was like, yo, this shit's racist. Fuck this. I couldn't be like, no, you're wrong, man. Yeah. You're so wrong. It's like, <laughs> no, I mean, the reality is a lot of attempts. I mean, <sighs> I hate to say this, but like, you know, there were people in the civil rights movement who had ideas that now we'd be like, no, nah, that shit's racist. Like that that's the reality is that like people sometimes try things and, and and especially as an artist, and they don't work out or they're based on an idea that isn't solid. And I think for this, it, it never boils over because what it boils out to me, this is where I disagree with Hooks. She really feels like Bernhardt, in a sense, is mocking black women and and black culture. Uh, and she doesn't think that that's insidious because Bernhardt's marking, mocking a lot of things in the movie. And in the end, there's a there's a respect for these black women. However, there's a sense of making fun that maybe she doesn't have the right to make fun. I don't know that yeah. her performance equals making fun. fun. Yeah. I, and I, I can totally understand how it comes across that way to somebody like yeah. Bell Hooks. Well, I think this is one of the things that's interesting. This came up recently. I was listening to... Uh, you know, they're not friends of the show, but I'll call them friends of the show. Uh, Har Vanguard, you know, it's that podcast where two, uh, you know, 
basically uh, leftist academics talk about horror movies. And they were yes. talking about a movie that is not a horror movie, but they were arguing was a horror movie. And I think we would agree, although I would say it's actually a, a horror comedy. And that would be Tar. They were talking about Tar. <laughs> and I realized that um, in their conversation about Tar, it is so difficult to take, to interpret camp because sometimes when people see things as campy, they either see it as approving or mocking and not seeing it as a space between approving and mocking. It's not, it's not one or the other. Right. And yeah, it's all about the liminal. Yeah, exactly. It's that space between, uh, you know, I am the thing, but I'm also not the thing. I'm all the exaggerations of the thing. And in that sense, I mean, remember bell hooks is writing in the nineties in the nineties, right? Stereotypes were the most important thing in race conversations. So a performance that relies to some extent on stereotypes is a problem. But in 2023, while people are, you know, not sure about stereotypes, I don't know that all of us are thinking stereotypes are like the the razor's edge of racist dogma in America. Yeah. Like stereotypes are kind of not really something we worry about yeah. as and much we, anymore. We've moved on to like trying to recognize institutional racism or like how ingrained yes. it actually is. In which the is most not a minute ways. Yeah, which is not a criticism. I mean, I'm with Josh on this. I'm not here to come at Bell Hook. She's she she was amazing. This this essay's very good. Yeah. And she's talking about a lot of stuff. The essay's not about this movie. It's just this movie is an example of how, in her talking? mind, liberals can still be a part of this sort of uh, problematic inst instrumentalization of black people and black culture. And I don't know that that criticism is wrong. I just think I have more sympathy for Bernhardt and for her perspective than Hooks does, even though Hooks never comes at her in a way that is, I think, unfair. I don't think the criticism is unfair, but I think I'm more sympathetic to where Bernhardt's at. Still, I mean, if someone said like, oh, I really like this movie – I want to do a version of the stage show, I would be like, well, don't do the stuff for the movie. Just do the stage show because <laughs> there's stuff in the movie that I, I think in the long run just doesn't work, even though I don't think it's coming from a bad yeah, place. Yeah, like the big one for me, I mean, there's two that I think, there's like two sections of the film in particular that I, I would argue are like problematic. And that is the very first musical number where she does yeah. four women by Nina Simone. Horrible way to start the movie. Yeah. What is that? And there's a, there's yeah. a review on Letterboxd where the guy was like, there's a lot of people today who will see that and just tap out. And like, I get it. Um, but yeah, so there's that. And then I, re there is I read that review. I found it actually very helpful for thinking yeah, about me too. the movie. Uh, well, it's, be it's like a, yeah, it's a, a, a black reviewer talking about how impactful the film was for him and understanding um, like his own blackness and also like at the time he was very influenced by like queer culture. So, um, but, but yeah, like I, I thought that review was very helpful too, but so there's that. And then later on there is, she does uh, me and Mrs. Jones mm. where um, she, she's like in this red, I think it's like a cocktail dress and she has like these very long red fingernails and she is basically doing black, like a black caricature, like uh, with like very exaggerated mannerisms and um, speech. But the joke is that like uh, she's doing this monologue and she's she's talking about her Jewish piano player and how their people get along. <laughs> it, yeah. it, there's like a lot of like 
there's a lot going on in that section. But that um, I, I will say, I will say that moment I thought was fun for me because it is a, a black piano player yeah. and they show you that. And I thought, okay, I mean, th- I found that less problematic than Nina Simone, though I do think neither one works very well. That one, I thought there's a sense of irony here that communicates, whereas the Nina Simone part doesn't really communicate exactly what's happening there. And I'm no. not sure I even un- fully understand. And by why the way, that's not necessary. in the stage show at all. Like she doesn't oh, do yeah. for women. No, 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 no. That's what I read that up with. But when, when I watched it, I, I looked at other people's reviews and got that vibe. Uh, w- one thing that that review that you mentioned from Letterboxd said that I think is helpful is that on one hand, for people who are exploring the fluid nature of identity um, and the fluid nature and the constructed nature of identity, I still think there's something valuable here in her performance, the way there is in a lot of these kinds of performances. Uh, but there is a question of whether all of the things that she's performing are perhaps she's able to perform well or with in the way that maybe she should. And I think that's part of what's going on here is that, um, you know, uh, and I think, Josh, you'll understand this part. The embodiment that one does in drag might involve some amount of caricature that feels mocking, but it's also it's often done out of. Uh, a sense of reverence, right? It's a sense of like embodying something powerful. And uh, while what Sandra Bernhardt is doing is not exactly the kind of drag that people are used to on, say, Drag Race, it still ends up being that, right? An exaggerated femininity, an exaggerated cultural stereotype. There's a there's a there's sometimes a bit of a sharper edge, and I think those become clear when she is criticizing something a little more intensely. But a lot of times, there's like an embodiment that I think is is performative and interesting and comes from a long history of embodiment. But the question is maybe one that isn't about her art, but more about our culture, though she is a marginal and liminal figure herself, does that ignore in her embodying these black figures the fact that like identity may be constructed, yeah. but it's really hard for black folks to construct their identity. Right. Because, because at the end of the day, they still have black skin. That's not a construct. Right. Exactly. That is exactly. an immutable part of their reality that they can't yeah. escape. Well, and, and this is, you know, uh, uh, I think I think Bell Hooks is the one who points this out about the idea that race is a is a is a. Uh, she doesn't say tool. She says a de, uh, because of the D device. Race is a device, right? Because it's a device, we sometimes push that very far and say it's not real. And it's like, no, it's not real in the sense that it's written in our dna the way we think it is but a device is still real it still has effects and you can use it in certain ways and so race can be deployed as a device in positive ways and i think that anyone who is part of a strong culture but is still within a racialized context can find actually positive ways to deploy race but race is still a device that is often used for destruction and it's like sometimes when people realize it's a device, they go, oh, it's not real. So I can stop thinking about it. It's like, well, no, because yeah. the, even if you the don't believe it, exists. it yeah. what's the what's the what's the Zizek joke where a man is convinced he's a worm and because he's a, convinced he's a worm, he's afraid of chickens. And so he goes to therapy and his therapist spends a year convincing him he's not a worm. And then his first time out, he tells him to go to a chicken farm and then he calls the therapist. He's like, I'm still afraid of the chickens. And he's like, why are you afraid? You know, you're not a worm. He's like, I know I'm not a worm, but what if the chickens don't know? 
<laughs> which is a funny joke, only it's not a fucking joke. Because the reality yeah. is, you may know that through your transcendence of race or your transcendence of class or your whatever it is, you may feel above whatever isms. I hear this all the time from fucking people, mostly white people, but other people say I'm too. I'm colorblind. That I, oh, not even just colorblind. I'm beyond isms. I'm beyond isms. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right, but we live in a society where the there are people- refrain of a truly privileged person. But there are people, yeah, and we live in a society where there are people who are more empowered by the system to enact violence, whether directly or indirectly. And if that violence is enacted, it doesn't matter if you don't believe in the thing, if they believe in the thing, right? And they don't even need to fully believe in it. That's what's so insidious about race, about gender, about class, about sex, because while there are things about those things that maybe we don't mind so much, the reality is you don't have to believe in them to participate. You don't have to be a believer, right? You don't have to think they're real to be a part of them. And so uh, the problem is there are a bunch of people walking around who I think, similar to this time in Sandra Bernhardt's career, maybe think because of their advanced ideas that are a little beyond this thing, and then they unwittingly participate. And I think that that's mm-hmm. where I really feel bell hooks on this thing is that like Sandra Bernhardt doesn't have to be racist at all. In fact, she doesn't even have to intend it. She she could intend fully deconstruction. The question is, how does this piece of art function? I'm not as pessimistic, I think, as Bell Hooks is. But I do think, not only do I think that those aspects are problematic, like you said, Adriana, they're also not essential for the fucking performance. No, they're not. You, you, no, they're not. You take them out, the thing still functions. And Josh, this didn't vibe for you at all. I'll tell you what, the parts of it that aren't those things mostly vibe for me like i said i don't get all the references partly because some of the wasp culture she's criticizing i'm just unfamiliar with so i'm sure there are references (laughs) i just don't understand but there are things i do understand that i'm like (laughs) i that i like you know i like like a great example is that whole section where she is telling the story of the guy whose friend invites him to the disco and it turns out to be a gay club and he has a sexual awakening as sylvester uh, performs in the club that whole section is so good. It made me want to listen to Sylvester after I watched it so much. <laughs> um, yeah, I agree with that. And, and, and I think that that it's, it is funny how um, that, that place where there are people who are so detached from themselves that they're unaware of maybe who they are in such a, in such a deep way. That's, that's not a narrative you hear much anymore, right? Like people don't talk about that awakening where you realize that, you know, maybe you're bi, maybe you're not gay, but like something is going on there where you're actually suddenly alive. That narrative is a little less present in our culture. And I wonder how well that segment would play for people in 2023. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, like, um, heterosexism and compulsory heterosexuality are still very much a thing. They still have oh, a stranglehold I, oh, yes. on the culture. Oh, yes. So yeah, I, I think plenty of people today, like younger people could still relate to that of, of sort of having this gradual realization that, Oh, like all the stuff that's going on with me, like that's what it is. Um, it's interesting. Cause I, I think we are split though, culturally on that because it's kind of similar to the, uh, uh, when I was at Lafayette, we had a, a speaker in and they were talking about how to process, um, they were trying to process in their work the um, 
decline of queer only spaces, which I I'm sure in in 2023 when things have actually heated up again, of those spaces are probably becoming popular once again. But there was a moment six seven years ago where like just by the numbers, a lot of queer spaces, especially specifically bar like places that rely on commerce, were closing because there was just less people who felt like I only want to go to a place that is like this. There was a lot more feeling that, oh, we can go wherever we want. And so a lot of spaces just just were closing across the country. Uh, And there was some fear that, like, are we losing something, right? Yeah, and lesbian bars in particular are, like, going the way of the dodo. Now, I do know, I I do wonder, and I don't know what the effect is, is our current, frankly, fucking hostile environment, like we're back in the 80s or some shit, is that reinvigorating those spaces? I don't think it's worth the fear if that's true, but it would be interesting to know if that if it is having that effect. And if it's not, why not? Like, what's the difference where it, it isn't bringing back the need for those spaces or, or, or it is? Yeah, you know? well, I think the economic landscape today is such that yes. like, it's yes. very, very difficult to open and continuously operate a space like that versus like how things were back in the day. So I think that's a factor too. Even even yeah. if people desperately want to create those spaces, there's just so many challenges and so many so much red tape. I think um I want to get back to one of the other things about this performance movie and then I I think we can, you know, wrap up here in a little bit. Uh but one of the things I I found myself thinking about is that there's something performative and interesting about Sandra Bernhardt's per, uh, uh, participation in the fashion industry, right? She embodies glamour, but she also seems really critical of it. You know, there's a yeah. sense in which she's she's doing this thing, but there's an edge to it. There's a way that almost by embodying it, she's also deconstructing it. And yeah, which, bring, have you ever seen her walk a runway? Yes. Yeah, it is. She looks. It is not a typical runway walk. Let me tell no, you. No, I mean they had a a short a clip big of it dyke energy in the going in the on. documentary <laughs> where she just looks like she's like. Not only that, she's looking at the audience. She's like mean mugging. Like, I yeah, fucking like, hate stopping. all of you. Love that. It's I think so that's. Good. I think that's great. But I do wonder if that feeling of I am embodying this thing and thus deconstructing it and uh, and performing it at the same time. I, I think that energy is present in this movie but i think that's the other thing to keep in mind it's sort of like what i brought it up earlier this idea that she casts herself as the villain in certain situations right and i think that stance that she is embodying can be complicated and in the documentary she makes a big deal about how she is more visceral than intellectual about these things. She doesn't have a complicated theory, even though we read two theory-laden essays about her art, right? No, uh, she's coming from a very emotional place. It's very yes, instinctive rather than intellectualized. Yes, she talks about how yes. like that's why she and John Bok- Boscovich made such a great um, creative pair because he he brought like the intellectual element, the conceptual element uh, yes. to what she was doing and helped it her her act evolve but i think that that persona combined with that essence that sort of very like uh uh visceral uh confrontational essence i think is very powerful some people are going to find it a big turnoff but i do think you are walking a thin line and i'm not surprised that at times she's 
gone in directions that, you know, I don't get the feeling she regrets per se in the sense of like she understands why she was doing what she was doing, but I I think she regrets the results of, right? Like it's not the decision itself, yeah. it's the realization that that wasn't what I should have done, but I understand why I made yeah. that decision at the and time. And she's basically said as much in interviews. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm saying. And so like I think this is the thing with this, like because ultimately – I, I'm doing a lot of work here for it to say, ultimately, I kind of recommend this to people who like her comedy vibe and like whatever. If you are, can go into this thing understanding that parts of it don't work and maybe she was trying something that was a bad idea, I think it's worth it. But if you're someone who, as soon as she starts singing that Nina Mo- Simone song, you're like, fuck nope. this shit. That's totally Wait, okay because yeah, like, I really do think it I doesn't I do not work, blame you know? somebody for having yeah. that reaction. Um, what were, what were we going to say, Josh? It's a, well, it's it's exactly like what Adrian was saying before. Like this is a this is a wavelength. You know right, what I mean? Yes, and if that's yes. a thing that you can resonate with, then this is for you. But if it isn't, then it's not. What did you guys think about the Prince bit at the end? <laughs> I kind of loved it actually. Yeah. It it's was that unhinged. was the one part where I'm like, what is the and that like I had. The, the the American flag cape in Cal? Yes. What is happening right now? It was, I mean, that was the one bit that I was like, all right, like after being well, I think down because by this movie twice, you know, that's the one part that I was like, okay, that's kind of funny. <laughs> I mean, not only that, but I think it is one of the things to say here that I think should be more clear, and it was in that review that you mentioned, is that she is in some sense problematizing the very thing that Bell Hooks is accusing her of, right? Like, this is a bit of a mirror towards a certain kind of white woman, right? Like, and not only that, a certain kind of performer, which she's kind of becoming a part of. Like, granted, this movie wasn't a blockbuster hit, right? But this is at the point where she's starting to get enough notoriety. And so it's interesting to see her at this level of notoriety, which is, by the way, nowhere near where she will end up. This is far below where she will eventually be fame-wise. She's already deconstructing her own fame. Right. She's yeah. already being like this whole thing that I'm doing is inherently bullshit. Like, yeah. you know, it is all yeah. every aspect of this thing, which I will enjoy and I will embody and I will make a thing is bullshit. But like and part of the mockumentary is, narrative is like she got too big for her bridges. Basically, like her ego got too big. So on yeah, the advisement of her that. manager, she's now doing this this show to try to like bring things back to her roots or uh, uh so yeah there's that element as well i mean he, i mean it's it's for me this reminds me of like a ballroom thing which which by the way in in the documentary there's this there's a part where she says uh it's giving and i was like is this the first time America heard anyone say it's well, she giving said that something? On Letterman, like there's a really great yeah. appearance. She was like on Letterman in the early '90s, where she does, and it's actually quoted in one of the essays I sent you guys. Yes, it is. She's yes, talking yes, 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 about yes. she's wearing Isaac Mizrahi, and she's like, yeah. "It's giving it's Mizrahi, giving. it's giving or yeah. like that sort of thing." And like, yeah, when millions of Americans saw that, and I'm sure they were like, "What the fuck is she saying?" Like, I don't understand what she's yeah, saying. Yeah, it's it's a part of our culture now, but. That was so fucking long ago, and nobody was talking like that in, you know, heterosexual society. That wasn't a thing that people said. Ballroom society, yeah, yeah. And I think there's something to that. I mean, even like, um, oh, sorry, my brain just shut off. I was about to make a connection to that, and it went away. Oh, even in the movie, tell me about this, okay? Because Adriana, I want to understand. 
there's a Madonna knockoff in the movie. Oh, right. Yeah. Shoshana. Is Is she mocking Madonna? Yes. Okay. So. Well, at this I, point, I think they were still friends, but there was some tension developing. Basically, what happened was that Sandra Bernhardt's girlfriend at the time, Ingrid Cazares, who was like this big Miami club promoter, she basically used her to become friends with Madonna, and she and Madonna became besties and basically shoved Sandra Bernhardt to the side. This is according to like several oh people gosh. who were friends. Oh, my gosh. San- like, Sandra has been very... Um, what's the term? Uh, like evasive when it when it comes to actually explaining what oh happened God, between them. But there is an interview that I found it, uh, that Susie Bright, the um, like she uh she was the lesbian sex consultant on Bound, but she uh sure, yeah. she she has done a lot of writing on queer theory and things. She interviewed Sandra Bernhard at some kind of gay and lesbian film festival in London in 1992. And on her podcast, she played like the whole interview. And there's a point where Sandra Bernhard just come, like comes right out and says like, like this is what happened with Madonna. Uh, and she also said something to the effect of like Madonna <laughs> wouldn't eat pussy if her life depended on it. And uh, <laughs> a lot of other, other things that indicated Madonna might be a little bit lesbophobic. Um, but yeah, I, there's a lot of like she really liked Madonna and was hurt very badly by um, uh, this betrayal. And that's basically what happened. Well, it's it's interesting to me, partly because I think the kind of appropriation that Bell Hooks is writing about. Uh, yep. Is Madonna, right? Yeah, like that Vogue. Madonna at various parts in her career steals from people. And at one point, what she stole was an entire art form from a group of people that she helped out individual members of, but she didn't help out the community at all. She just took it and made it her own. And like, you know, whatever. And like Sandra people have- was much more a part of that community than yes. Madonna ever yes. was. She, yeah, she was basically like a culture vulture. Yeah, and so I think including a mocking of the clearest example in my mind of gay culture culture vulture at in the 90s when being a culture vulture was pretty fucking common, right? Like the like like the 90s was very much a time for people to sweep into techno, hip hop, punk, whatever it was, into cultures they didn't understand and try to steal things to make money from. This is the time, right? And so for that to be part of the movie, I thought was very interesting. I don't know if that was just a personal thing or if that there was a larger commentary there, but I thought it was interesting. But anyways, well, I, I think I, it's I, there. It's the, it thematically ties into the theme of yes. uh, cultural appropriation and specifically white appropriation of black culture because voguing yes. is very much black queer culture. Yes. And, and I think that that is, is important to keep in mind. And side note, Voguing is also a thing where performance is complicated, right? And I like that connection. And it's something that I think people don't think about enough, which is that um, uh, ballroom is very much a kind of performance culture that is related to identity that I don't think people have spent much time theorizing in the way they've theorized other kinds of performance cultures, you know, but I think there's stuff there to think about, you know, that there's, you know, there, there's a, there's a way 
to perform that represents aspiration and reality at the same time in a way that other performance cultures maybe don't in the same way. Yeah. Okay. We've talked about this movie a lot and I feel bad because we're, we, me and you have been talking a lot and Josh is like, well, I didn't like it. So I guess they were, we're good here, but, uh, <laughs> no, I'm but, with but, it though. I've, I'm listening to both of you. No, guys, no, no. So, I know. Yeah. I just, I just don't want to go on for like two hours. Well, on it, there but are I think, some things though that we haven't talked about that I think we really should. That's what I was going to transition to is let's hit on some specific things before we wrap up the episode. Okay. Adriana, do you have some stuff you want yeah, to bring I up? Yeah, I have a few things. So first of all, there's a lot of people involved with this film that you might not expect that I think we should talk about. So, first of all, it's produced by Nicholas Rogue, who, for those of you, including you, Liam, and, and Josh, if you don't know who Nicholas Rogue is, he is, um, he was an English filmmaker and cinematographer who, um, well, he started as a cinematographer, then he started directing his own features, and he directed Don't Look Now, The Man Who Fell to Earth, yep. Uh, yep. The Witches, Walkabout, like a lot of great films. And he was one of Sandra Bernhardt's favorite filmmakers. And what happened oh. was, in the late 80s, she wound up uh, being in a film of his called Track 29, uh, and th they became close i guess like she she wrote an article afterwards for i think it was film comment or some similar magazine where she really talked about what an incredible experience it was and how open and collaborative the set was and that it was basically everything she um like fantasized about when she was a little girl who like obsessed with like film and the arts like it, it was everything she thought making a movie would be so they stayed in touch and i guess um, one day they were talking and she was saying to him how um, she and John Boscovich were having difficulty raising money to make uh, the film version of Without You, I'm Nothing. And Nicholas Rogue was just like, oh, I'll give you the money. So, yeah, he became a producer and apparently he was a pretty hands off producer, too. Like he showed up to set a couple of times and had like a suggestion here or there. But he basically he didn't try to take the reins. He just let them do what they wanted and i think uh whatever else you might think about other aspects of this movie like i think we can probably all agree that it's a really impressive artistic achievement uh both for bernhard as a writer and a performer and for john boscovich as a director like this was his first time directing a film and it just has like it, it's it's very assured direction, and I mean the way they they realize think things visually is incredible. Like their and their use of like camera and editing to kind of bring s certain elements of the performance into the foreground. Like the there's a lot of cool um, like split diopter shots and like other other like the way the choreography of it because there's like it's hard to explain, but there's a bunch of different points where it looks like Sandra is alone on the stage, and then like the lighting changes and you'll see suddenly there's like Christmas carolers behind her or um, like dancers and, and things like that. So visually, this is a really wild looking movie I or agree. performance, I should say. Well, it's, 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 it's not just a straight visually... up performance. There's a lot of um, like cool visual components to it, um, but it's also very like, visually compelling, I will say. Yes. And then um, just going back to like other people involved, 
We already talked about John Doe. She's friends with John Doe, so there's a point in the film where she and John Doe do a duet of Hank Williams. So I'm so only I could cry. Mm. Um, that segues into um, that song from I want to say it's from Company. What the hell is it called? Yeah, yeah, on I forget Broadway. That. What is it? Yes, 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 yes. Um, is that from Company? Sorry, now I have to like Google. <laughs> it's not. I can't. It's just it's... a song. Sorry, I apologize to all the musical theater heads listening. <laughs> that um, are now losing their minds. Good job. Oh, the reason I thought it was, I was confusing. I was thinking of the opening sequence of All That Jazz. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Which uses the song to great effect. Anyway, so there's that. There's, there's like a whole, we haven't talked about this at all, but there's like this through line in the film where Sandra is sort of contrasted with this black counterpart, like this young black woman who is like yes. reading yeah. Kabbalah at one point and, and like listening to NWA doing chemistry experiments. Um, <laughs> that's like a very confusing element of the film. But basically that is Cynthia Bailey, who at the time was a model. But most people now know her as one of the real housewives of Atlanta. Yes. Huh. So there's that. that that aspect of it, I thought was hilarious. I will yeah. say, I think I think that part of it could be seen as a interesting juxtaposition, but I don't think it's ex it's executed very well. No, so that's, the, that's the issue. It's confusing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, this could add a little bit of not that it needs seriousness, but add a little bit of weight and, and a little bit more clarity. But it doesn't seem to make sense. And then it ends up just feeling like a distraction, you know? Yeah, I agree. And so there's that. And then the other thing worth pointing out is that the uh, the musical arranger for the film uh, and like for all of the performances was Patrice Russian, who I just talked with, uh, about with Liam on our little like Patreon music discussion project we do. Yes. Um, so, yeah, that's she she was an R&B artist who she had a song has a song called Forget Me Nots, which was sampled in the Will Smith Men in Black theme. Uh, forget Me Nots. Yeah. But anyway, there's You'll, a lot of you would know, you would know. Also has, this film. Yeah, she well, she has a bunch of awesome songs. She's on, well, yeah. On, uh, yeah, she's on like a bunch of my freestyle playlists. Hell yeah. So she is involved in this, too. Um, and then uh, there was something else I wanted to men mention. Oh. Going back to the whole, you, Liam, you made a point about how you were surprised that Josh didn't like it because it seemed to have influenced so many things that he does like. I didn't realize this until recently, but I was reading an interview with John Cameron Mitchell, wow. and he said wow. that he and, um, Stephen oh, why Trask. am I, yes, I totally blanked on his, on his name, Stephen Trask, that they were both massive Sandra Bernhard fans and that this show was a huge influence on the development of Hedwig. And as soon as I read that, it immediately clicked for me. Because if you think about the movie Hedwig and the Angry Inch, one of the running jokes is that everywhere the band plays, the audience is super disinterested or like at times even outright hostile. And that is totally a device that they ripped from Without You, I'm Nothing. Because one of the one of the things for me that like makes some of the more problematic elements of the film less egregious is like the fact that the the camera repeatedly cuts away to the black audience members looking super unimpressed with everything that's going on. And then it all yeah, culminates I, I, in Cynthia Bailey writing fuck Sandra Bernhardt on a napkin yeah. and walking out. 
Well, I think that's something that maybe we didn't highlight enough, which is the whole point of the movie seems to be to mock her and mock her performance. So, like, no matter what she says about being important and being influential, being whatever, yeah, that that in, in in its essence, the audience is there to remind us that like it's okay to think this is ridiculous and that she is ridiculous that that's part of the point, right. Which is great, but I, I still think yeah, I still don't think that saves that it part from... doesn't quite work. <laughs> yeah. it, it helps me understand where she's coming like from. Yeah, sorry, yeah, still not my thing. I mean, don't be wrong, Josh. I I think that parts of this are fucking hilarious. Like I did, I I, I think um, the whole section towards the beginning where she's talking about her childhood uh, and her parents. I mean, and I'm like, not saying I hated it wholesale. There are bits like you're right, like that. I was like, okay, I'm here for this. Even the beginning monologue. About her face. Oh, and all where that she's stuff. monologuing like, like she's looking directly into the camera. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm here for it. But then just, I don't know. I it's would actually be more inclined to recommend the documentary for people who maybe aren't sure about this performance thing or whatever. I, I thought the documentary was really interesting, actually. And um, it's fun seeing some of the people who are talking about her. I love seeing Paul Mooney. I like Paul Mooney. So yeah, he's great. Cool. He's like uh, really and, her biggest champion from the beginning. Like as soon as she the, got to LA and started doing the, sure. the hitting the comedy circuit, like she was really young. She was still a teenager and he saw her one of her earliest shows and immediately like kind of swooped in uh, to mentor her. And like, cause he saw the writing on the wall, like it was going to be really rough for somebody like her. So. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to say that, uh, uh, the, there's footage of her performing in the documentary that is oh, not yeah. the movie. And that footage is really great, actually. That made me think more than I would have liked her live, I think, more than I liked the movie, which is interesting. So, okay. Anyways, hey, so uh, I like this. Even, even Josh, even though you didn't love this movie, I do like that this is something where we we both, you were like, I don't know much about this person. And I was like, I kind of do, but I kind of don't, right? Because I don't know this thing, which is like one of the major things she did. Uh, so let's do an episode on it. And I, I like that because Adriana really has helped us learn something. And, you know, it may, maybe you're not going to go out and buy a Sandra Bernhardt t-shirt, but at least now we know like who she is. And especially because yeah. her, uh, her uh, work has been important to a lot of people in a lot of different ways. But, you know, I've Adriana, I can't thank you enough for being like, Oh, Hey, this thing that you mentioned I know about it. So have me on as a guest and I'll talk about it because that's what we wanted you to do. So it was like, oh, Adriana's the best. I really appreciate that. Thank you for coming on to talk about this. And uh, like I said, I'm glad you had me watch it and provide those articles, which like you probably already had them because that's like I your did. vibe. But but still, <laughs> just the fact that you like shared them with me, if we were doing this on our own, I would have never had the supplemental material at all, you know? Yeah. No. Well, Adriana, you know, we love you so much. Like that goes without being said, right? So whenever you want to come on to talk about whatever, I'm down. Let's do that. You know what I mean? Well, the next thing we should talk about is I really, I really want to, I really want you guys to watch uh, Fassbender's miniseries, Eight Hours Don't Make a Day. It's like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. A very joyful and uplifting socialist, uh, (laughs) like family drama, basically, all about workers organizing. In a factory. Legitimately, you are the main Fassbender expert in my entire cinematic circle and friend circle. 
Yeah, I think the that's foremost. probably true for me too. Well, you guys know yeah, yeah, yeah. Sam Deegan. Like she's very uh very into yeah. Fassbender. Okay, but but Sam Deegan's an expert on everything. That's not fair. That is true. She just seems <laughs> to know everything. And so I, I feel like that's that's like comparing you know yourself to an actual encyclopedia of movies or something, you know, like <laughs> different. I just I'm I'm always surprised by how much stuff that she knows, honestly. Yeah. All right. Well, okay, let's wrap up here. Adriana, thank you for coming on. Do Thanks you for want me? Do you want people to follow you on social media or do you not care? What do, what do you want to do? I don't really care, to be quite honest, okay. but I'm on Twitter. You can find me at E-A-D-X-B-B, which I really have to find. I really have to come up with like a new Twitter handle because that was very temporary. And uh, <laughs> it works. Well, it's and for hard, people... it's difficult for, in like this kind of context where I, I'm like trying to tell people Saying to follow it. me. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's well, and to um. You. For people who don't know, Adriana is one of our regular guest hosts on Cinema Smorgasbord. We do a show about Paul Bartel, which oh, yeah, is I should uh, probably Bartell Me Something Good. Well, it's okay. I, I'm willing to do it. Uh, you know, we we don't do it weekly, that one, but it's it's pretty regular in the rotation. And uh, I'm very happy for, for that because talk about another cultural uh, uh, moment that I would have missed without uh, Adriana. I guess Doug kind of knows a little bit about Paul Bartel, but really Adriana was the the catalyst to make that show happen. And I've, I've been very happy being a part of it and being the, the person being guided. Cause I didn't yeah. know almost any of that stuff. And we talked about Sandra Bernhardt on the last episode because we did. Ah. Paul Bartel was a guest on real wild cinema. Yes. Which she hosted. Uh, okay. Well, Hey, uh, thanks for listening everybody. You know, you all know the deal, rate, review, subscribe, <laughs> download, Find our social media, Cinepunks Everywhere. Check out the sponsors. Check out me and Josh. Above all else, check out uh, the other shows on the program and just tell a friend. Let them know that you like it. We appreciate you. Uh, Maybe buy a t-shirt. We got good ones. That's true. We do have some t-shirts if you want some. Let let us know. But yeah, thanks. All right. Thanks for listening. Episode 177 is now done. Smoke bomb. Do you like spooky movies? Hair-raising tales. Insightful criticism. Judgmental hot takes. Then you're going to love Car Business, the horror podcast on the Cinepunks Podcast Network dedicated to all things weird and spooky. My name is Leo Don. And I'm Justin Lore. And every episode, we're going to tear apart your favorite and not-so-favorite horror movies to get to the bottom of what makes these movies great or maybe not great. <laughs> Whether it's The Beyond, Prince of Darkness, or Inseminoid, we dive in on a double feature every episode, and then we talk about it. Some of our insights are great, and sometimes we just complain. So if we have to suffer through it, so do you. Horror Business, available anywhere you find fine podcast products.